Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Literacy View. We have a really special guest with us tonight. Um, I met Lynn Stone at the Reading League Conference, and she absolutely charmed the pants off of me. She's just brilliant, and a lot of people know her work. Um, let me just read a little bit about Lynn before we get started with our show. So Lynn Stone is an educational linguist, author, and CEO of Lifelong Literacy, an education coaching and training organization. Her goal is to help educators awaken linguistic curiosity in their students using creative, engaging tools and strategies that are based upon scientific consensus as to what constitutes best practice. Lynn creates research-informed professional development seminars, both online and face-to-face, -face, for teachers and other education professionals. She directs a team of specialist practitioners to deliver high-quality literacy intervention at tiers two and three, and a team of school coaches to deliver the best possible tier one literacy instruction. So welcome, Lynn. We are going to be talking about Lynn's articles, Lynn blogs, and everything that we talk about will be in the show notes. In particular, we're going to focus on two of her blogs, but there are follow-up blogs that um, I will mention in um, the notes. But first one is Culty is Charged, Why the Speech, excuse me a second, uh, sorry about that. Um, let me just pick up. Where did I have that? Okay, sorry. The blogs were Culty is Charged, Why the Speech to Print Movement Needs Breaks. And part two were Some Solutions. And then she has some other blogs to follow up. And the reason we're doing this episode is... The blogs certainly caused a stir, but I did not see a lot of conversation. Judy and I had spoken. Judy is not familiar with the speech to print firsthand. The first time that she really learned about it was when we did an episode on the speech to print approach. And also, um, Judy came to a presentation that I did with a district that is using speech to print here on Long Island, and that was with the Lindbrook School District, and she came to my presentation and um, ac actually saw some of the samples of work that we were doing. So um, that's her experience with speech to print. Lynn wrote an article um, saying that uh, from what she has seen in her own practice, that there are instructional casualties. And we want to dive right into that because Judy and I feel that the only way to really accomplish things in this space is to talk about it. And some people might might not like the discussions and other people will be nodding their heads in agreement, but that's the way it goes. We want the truth. We want to really dive in and have that conversation. So Lynn, I pulled out a couple of quotes from your article and I want to start there. All right. Okay. 
And then I want you to comment on it because this is something that Judy and I have been talking about. And this is not even really a speech to print thing. This is really about what we're seeing in the literacy space right now. So I want to start there. It says, I'm not saying you're in a cult. And this is referring to people who follow this speech to print approach and they talk about it um, as if this was um, the answer to all of their literacy issues for their children, for their students. And we'll get into that. Um, but it says, I'm not saying you're in a cult, but if you call yourself a brand name practitioner, school, trainer, there's a bit of a problem. And that problem occurs when your method is touted as the method to end all methods. That problem occurs when the only tool in your toolbox is fairly blunt. And when you're expressly forbidden to use outside tools, even though you know you should. The other part of this was, it continues and you said, they identify so closely with the brand that they become blind to its flaws and instead turn in on themselves when the flaws become apparent. So those are really strong words, Lynn. And I, I have to say, I agree with you. And, um, and people know that I believe in a speech to print approach. I believe that it can work very well. But I also believe that what you just said is very true. Could you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, and I want to make the distinction between the approach and the movement. So if you look at the title of the blog piece, it is the movement that needs mm -hmm. breaks. I have no problem with an approach that tells systematically tells children the relationship between graphemes and phonemes. In fact, I have a problem if you don't do that, right? That's a huge problem. And it's not just my problem. It's everybody's problem, right? So let's make the distinction. We've got Good. the movement and the approach. And everything that you've said in, and everything that Jan said in the last episode was about the approach. Every positive thing was about the approach. And I agree wholeheartedly. If you tell them these correspondences and you have a system, you are going to get much further than if you don't. And that's what the research tells us. But it's the movement that concerns me. And I've talked about other movements mm -hmm. and I've talked about other approaches. So if you actually contrast what I've said in my blogs about actual approaches, like, you know, the blog piece about reading recovery, the first time I witnessed bad teaching, that's the approach I'm hammering there, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the movement, the approach. It's a terrible approach, right? So is that distinction clear to start with? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, starting with the movement. Yeah. Certainly is. So um, it's... Yeah. Go ahead. So it's the movement that concerns me, as other movements concern me. That's not to say there aren't cults in all sorts of approaches and, and, and movements. Mm -hmm. There yes. are. In fact, education is kind of, I don't know, prone to this. So it does definitely take, I think, voices like mine to say, hey, hey, put the brakes on. Mm -hmm. Put the brakes on. You, you, we, we need to actually step back and look, not be blinded by this faith 
not you, Faith, but <laughs> Faith, you know, Faith in, in one thing that you've been told. And there are lots and lots of reasons why people will cling to that first thing or that first thing that works. And speech to print is often the first thing that teachers have had, maybe after a long career that works in ways that approaches that they were taught when they were at university don't work. So I understand. I understand why people get so attached. But I have to call out what I see. And I'm mm -hmm. informed about that by casualties. And not just casualties that are children. Of course, they are the main and most important casualties. But also teachers. When teachers and districts and systems pour everything or pour a lot into um, approaches that only are necessary but not sufficient, there's a lot of disappointment and disillusionment there. And you're going to lose populations going, oh, it's a pendulum swing. That didn't work. Let's go back to balanced literacy, right? We don't want that. No. So I want to stop you right there. So this is where I think we need to talk. So I think districts are going to get programs in. They will get programs in. But as Judy and I had said in other episodes, we spoke to Dr. Maureen Ruby. A program is not a curriculum. And so, and I know you know that, Lynn, right? Program is not a curriculum. But when districts get a program in and yep. they adhere to this with the F-bomb, fidelity. The F-bomb. <laughs> and they don't have somebody from the outside in many cases, and I'm going to say about myself, just because a speech to print approach is in a district doesn't mean I, as a consultant, am not showing them the holes, the ways to work around that, using approaches just like you have, Lynn, in your work with meaningful parts and working around different types of things. I don't know if that's happening everywhere. I think sometimes a program gets um, a trainer from that particular program, and then it's very strict adherence without thinking beyond that. So I wanna turn it over to Judy before Lynn, you jump in, all right? So yep. Judy, um, we've been talking a lot about this, and it's not, about speech to print, but just about this um, this worship, this idol worship stuff, and how you know worshiping one person or one thing or a program that people are saying now is a curriculum and using this synonymously um, is problematic. Could you talk a little bit about that, Judy, with, um, you know, some things that you and I have been discussing or just in your own situation? So thank you, Faith. Um, so I, I need to be honest. I think that my journey has been so special because like at some point, as everybody knows, all of our listeners probably know, I was deeply invested in my reading recovery training. At that point in my life, I thought I was doing what was best for kids. And I was surrounded by brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. But there were flawed 
techniques there, right? Some things were wonderful and aligned very well with the science and some things did not. But for me, you know, for the last seven or eight years, I've been immersed in the structured literacy approach. Once I really thought about my experience and started to learn about how to teach kids how to decode in a structured way, it wasn't hard to let go of what I was doing before because it made sense. So I think for me, it's about logic and thinking about how can I help kids? So I'm not that attached to anything. Like if new research comes out tomorrow, that's something that I'm doing right now, even in the structured literacy approach is not best practice. I'm very open to shifting. And I think that that's the mindset more people should have no matter, you know, where they are on their literacy journey. I think we can't get over attached. Like everybody was attached to Lucy, right? Uh, workshop model schools. I mean, she became like a living icon, a legend. Oh my God, you're going to TC? No, she's just a person. And there were many flaws in the program that she had developed. And, you know, right now, you know, with phonemic awareness and structured literacy, we we new research came out. We had Marion Rice and um um we had Marion Rice on, right? The author of uh the research and, and article. Tiffany and Tiffany. Yeah, and Tiffany, healthier. We had them on, and the new research is saying, you know, turn on the lights. The kids have to see that connection between the letters and the sounds much sooner than we had originally thought. So what did I do? I went to work and I'm like, guys, these are the strands that are really important to making sure our students become readers, blending, segmenting, um, seeing the, the phonemes and the letters in print, right? The phonics piece. So I think people in general, whether you're wherever you are in your journey, be ready to shift and be open-minded to learn. And I think as teachers, that's, that's what we need to do. We can't say stay so attached and so rigid in our belief system, right? If the so, research yeah, in the exactly. <laughs> so when you know, why don't you jump in and comment? Yeah. I know before you wanted yeah. to say something about that. Um, what are you, some of your thoughts, Lynn? <laughs> well, when I wanted to jump in, that was about fifteen hundred sentences back. So <laughs> I'm not Sorry. sure. No, 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 not at all. Um, no, I love it. I'd love to listen. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm not sure what that was about faith, but all I can do basically is not in agreement. Um, in uh, one of my works, I talk about the, the sort of three broad types, if you like, just to help me figure out what who it is I'm dealing with and why things don't change and why things do change. And the three types that I came up with, I, can't, I don't know if you remember this, but one of them was the blissful plodder. These are people in education who, you know, they're just, they're nice people and they've got stuff that kind of works and they just don't want to be bothered by the new stuff, but they're nice. And they, you know, everyone gets on with them and they always bring some of the best stuff to potluck and all that sort of thing, right? So they've got the blissful plodder and they're incredibly diff difficult to change because there's absolutely no desire extrinsically or intrinsically to change, right? And then you've got the rigid idealist and they are so wrapped up, and this is the culty part and it happens everywhere. They are so wrapped up in this one belief system or one approach, whether it be supported by research or not, that doesn't matter what you put in front of them, they cannot, will not change and will attack you for 
daring to say that you could probably do that more efficiently, right? And then you've got the ones that that we need to pour our energy into. And those are the lifelong learners, the people who will say, whoops, oh, right. So my new understanding reflects this. Great. I'm going to do this approach. Um, Hopefully, I'm an example of a lifelong learner. I don't know if you've read the first edition of Spelling for Life, but it's very different to the second edition of Spelling for Life because my understanding grew over Mm -hmm. 10 years. And I don't have a problem, you know, saying, whoa, that was rubbish. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what was I thinking? But, you know, that's that's like learning. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I I think that's what I love about this when we talk to people who have changed over time and they admit it. So yeah, they tell the best stories. On on the last um, show we had about speech to print, and you know she talked about something that she came out with, and then later she realized, "Mm -mm," and she pulled it and you know and I just admired that so much that she didn't just stick to something just because it's hers absolutely so, um, I thought that was amazing in your article you said selling a phonics program is a license to print money and I would love for you to talk about that because you mentioned you fly and by the way we're going to have Holly Lane on and a lot why are you giving out our surprises oh <laughs> oops, oops because it's so good that's why anyhow um you mentioned you fly and yep. then you mentioned a hundred lessons um you know uh engelman's work yeah yep. talk about that a bit about a license to print money i find that interesting because um again I agree with you. <laughs> I do agree well, with you. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, well, there are there are there are two issues there. Firstly, the license to print money is one thing. And um in at least in education, when we talk about phonics and systematic synthetic phonics, I think we have slightly more ethical uh goings on, ethical dealings. We do have authors who are incredibly willing to look at research and change, like Jan. Right. And and she, you know, her her approaches and her um, her resources are they keep up with everything. And she has the absolute humility to change. So Jan's not who I'm talking about when I talk about all of these when I make these statements in my blog. And you know that. And Jan knows that. Um, the license to print money. Well, here's the here's the bit that I find tragic about phonics. We know right? From research, we know from massively expensive government-led inquiries into the teaching of leading all over the Anglophone world. Canada's just had one, the United Kingdom, America, Australia. These are major English-speaking countries. They've all had their inquiries into the teaching of reading. And what's been the conclusion every single time? That systematic synthetic phonics beats all the alternatives, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, if you got that kind of support, uh, it's possible that you might want to put your resources out there. The tragic thing about it is that people keep 
reinventing that phonics wheel. And when you keep reinventing that phonics wheel, you've got to carve out a niche for yourself to make your phonics program different from all the other phonics programs. And that's where we start moving away from the bullseye, right? As Steve Dykstra put it, puts it and into the land of Oz, into the land of, well, I'm just going to make it so, just this bit different so that you'll buy my product and I can tie you to it. That is a problem. And that's what I'm talking about in that blog as well. Does that does that make sense? Am I am I speaking? Oh, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, however, um, I do think that again, if we're talking approach, whether it's speech to print or print to speech, I don't think it has to be so expensive. That's oh, I agree. And Holly proved that. Holly proved it, but so did Zig Engelman, right? So did Zig Engelman, you know, twenty years ago. If, if we're talking about getting children reading, mm-hmm. that's what you should do, right? If we're talking about children becoming fluent writers, well, that's another thing in itself. Now, what I found difficult with the speech to print movement is that it touts itself as something that will get children into fluent writing, or there are approaches within that movement that have said, we're going to make children good spellers and fluent writers. And there is no evidence for that. Again, as Jan said, it's a multilinguistic thing. If you're not bringing in other elements that say th- that that say something different from um, speech and print are reversible processes, because they're not mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. English, they're not in an opaque orthography, then you you know you're getting into trouble. You got to bring in that multilinguistic part of it. It's that move. It's the movement within speech to print that says this is sufficient. It's not, and I can point you to many, many instances where there are casualties, not just children, but teachers with blunt tools. Well, I would say that's true of just about any phonics program. Absolutely. But I'm writing about this one. Okay. But I want to talk about something else (laughs) because because I've had (laughs) instructional casualties that come out of Wilson foundations i'm sure og and yeah. they're getting this in school i know where you're going moving at a snail's pace when i hear kids are in wilson for five years i could vomit yeah. you know yeah. it's just that terrible so i think there are instructional casualties whether the approach is speech to print print to speech the key is knowing what you're doing And the teacher knowledge and being able to have so much information that you know how to move in and out. And like you said, supplement, change, pivot, whatever you want to call it. Judy, you're a coach in New York City. Programs. (laughs) We've talked about foundations a lot. And so and we've debated different things. Yeah, I love syllable types more than you do. And right. And so I don't see the need (laughs) for syllable types. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I know Lynn doesn't either. But um, and so and that's a print. And so she's print. She doesn't. You see how many variations there are that again, but I'm learning to be more flexible. Right. So today I was running a professional development at school. And I was like, you know, foundations, some of us, because, you know, we've had to do so many reteach sessions, you haven't introduced long vowel sounds. It's time, guys. 
It really is time. And I talked to them about bowel flexing for kids that, you know, are having trouble as a as an additional support. So I think that it is important, no matter what program you use, it's one thing to stick to the fidelity, but having that knowledge piece that Faith just mentioned is the most important thing that you could be armored with. Because like, you know, even I was coaching for a short amount of time in a TC school, right? That's where they sent me, a teacher's college school. So that's what I had to work with. And within that framework, I knew there were many gaps, I showed some shifts. I said, we're not going to look at the pictures any, anymore. We're going to focus on those words. We're going to take what we learned in foundations or wherever in phonics, and we're going to learn how to make the sounds and slide through the word to decode it. So, you know, sometimes teachers don't have full control, but if you're armed with knowledge, nobody could take that knowledge away from you. So I'm not afraid at, of what program is thrown my way. Well, maybe I am afraid. <laughs> and you know what? That's the other funny thing. You know, education is becoming big business. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money to teach kids how to read. I I, I teach a lot of kids how to read after work. That's my, my side gig. And, you know, some of my decodables, they're not expensive. Some of them are free. Some of them are books that maybe the whole set for like 30 books is like $25. So this whole thing, I feel like this might turn into being sold another story, but sold another story from the SOR side. You know, mm -hmm. every day now, HMH people, expeditionary learning people, then podcasts with wit and wisdom people. Yep. Guys, let's start talking about how to help kids and not just pushing programs down people's throats. And the knowledge building thing, yes, that's important. We all get it. But teaching kids how to read is a process and it doesn't happen through the power of osmosis. And let's really make sure we prioritize making sure that our little ones learn how to read so they can learn to understand better. So I want to um, say that there are parents, you know, I speak to parents all the time and the speech to print parents, um, they've gone through lots of different programs. And, um, you know, when they see the success that their kids are having with speech to print, it's very hard to say, well, this piece of it is not very good, or you're not seeing um, what you should in this. They get, you know, um, very defensive and rightfully so, if I'm a parent and I've spent tons of money on something that just did not work and in school they're getting something that doesn't work and then something comes their way where it finally works. I mean, I, I have to say that I, I don't think that part is a problem. Would you say that's culty? Would yes. It, so and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I want you to consider something. And this is something that I haven't had a, a very good answer to yet. Mm -hmm. This, that story keeps coming up. Um, parents do contact me and say, we tried this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And when we got to speech to print, it worked. Well, can you not see the problem with that? We didn't have a blank slate there. We had someone who had been given information, lots of it, systematically sometimes, you know, who had been given lots and lots of one-on-one -on -one um uh work 
And then the last thing, of course, you're going to say the last thing is the thing that works, right? You could easily also say that for reading recovery. If people I'm have had a- I knew that was coming because 40% right? of students did well with uh, the reading recovery approach. 40%, yeah. 60% did not. not. A good argument. Yeah, it's not a good argument. It's not a strong argument. If we said that the, the child, um, you know, with all the risk factors, for dyslexia, having had no instruction prior to speech to print, became a reader because of speech to print. And this happens a lot. And it happens in a Happening. far greater population, right, than it happened with balanced literacy. So hooray, right? You could say then that speech to print was the factor. But you cannot say that when they've had so much prior intervention. Sorry. Okay. I'm can. working right now in a district yeah. where... And Judy saw the writing. I did see the writing. The writing was awful. And again, I think that's because we have these conversations every week. I'm in every school. I'm doing embedded training. And we're making sure that these kids are getting what they need. And when teachers are, you know, seeing certain things that maybe they shouldn't see, such as maybe spelling, because that's part of your article, that the spelling is not there as far as um, kids using just their sounds to yep. be able to figure out words. Well, yep. we know that meaning is important and bringing that meaning piece in and talking about, um, you mentioned the word said. Anytime I teach that word. We're talking about say, saying, said. We're not just talking about said. Yes, it, in the speech to print approach, you're going to hear the sounds and then that's going to be a spelling for the sound eh, but it's way more than that. And I show teachers how to teach those types of things. So yeah. I don't know if that's happening everywhere, Lynn, but, but it's not. I wish everybody did do that. But I've been to speech to print training and I can tell you, <laughs> right, that that within a speech to print training session is not what teachers are asked to do. Did you and I understand that training? again. Did you Pardon? finish your training? Did you finish? Did, I... did you complete the training? You said you've been to a training. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Did you complete yes. the training and did you try it at all? Did you use <laughs> it at all? Well, no, I was sufficiently experienced. This was five years ago to realize that this wasn't something that was going to help, that there wasn't really any new information that was going to supersede the successful things that I had been doing and training people with. I went in there with an open mind and I went in there very friendly and um, made sure that I didn't ask too many sticky questions. Um, but when I started to write a review of it afterwards, I realized that I couldn't submit it or publicize it because the review wasn't favorable enough. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to get the people that had trained me who'd been very kind into any sort of trouble. However, <laughs> things have things have changed over time. There have been a few things that have led to this. And it's not just me sitting in an ivory tower. If we go, if we return to this idea of the culty part, the first indication, the first red flag I had about speech to print, and by the way, I didn't know there were two things, speech to print, print to speech. For me, it was all, we need to do all of this and integrate it. And it mm -hmm. is 
integrated, Lynn. I know this, it's how you approach it from the start, but it should always be integrated. I want to leave people. It's teacher capacity, as as you and Judy both have said, teacher capacity and experience are the two very, very important things when it comes to making changes for good. However, if you're going to fill a teacher's mind um, and their toolkit with something which only takes care of a part of the writing system, then and and you and you convince them that that's all they need. That's a problem. That's a problem. And I and I see the speech to print movement being very very much in that boat. The movement, right? So again, we got to distinguish between the movement and the approach. Mm-hmm. Babe, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. So I think that we have to be careful with forming opinions. I think that, you know, most discussions should be grounded in what is the data saying. And I mm-hmm. and I hope that more data does come out. I mean, I did see on the walls the writing that I saw Faith displayed with kindergartners writing really advanced stuff was like, wow. But yeah, that's what happens when you teach them phonics systematically. Phonics. Right. But, but I think it's also possibly important to have options, right? Some of these kids are really, like I'm working with a group now for RTI or MTSS. And there's one kid, I've been showing him the rules a lot. It's just not clicking. Isn't it a great thing to have other options? And then Faith, my other question is, is speech to print just a tier one program or do they have it as an intervention as well? intervention as well. So it can be one, it can be an intervention. But again, hopefully the interventionist knows how to pivot and what to do and understands um, way more than just making the donuts. You know, I think, Lynn, what you're talking about is like... What's making the donuts? Ah, you know, oh, that's right. You're Australian. Dunkin you don't donuts. know Dunkin' Donuts. You don't know. Do- okay, so there's a commercial here. Got to make the donuts. And it's like assembly line work. Got to make the donuts. Got to make the donuts. Because Dunkin' Donuts are available at all times of the day and evening. So you see somebody making the donuts, turning it out, an assembly line. Not much thinking involved. When you just got to make the donuts, it's just you you do your job. There's no thinking required. Yep. I call it the paint by number system. Yeah. You have the picture. You have the numbers. You have the exact paint color that you know needs to be put in place. But you're not expanding. You're not growing from there. You know what the picture will look like but it's not going to be what an artist does when they're able to blend paints and they're able to understand, you know, composition and everything else that goes into a piece of artwork. So, you know, it's more than paint by number. It's more than putting puzzle pieces together. It is really seeing the bigger picture and understanding what to do. It's the art and science. Yes. Well, it's, it's, I I mean, I think this is part of the science. I do think everything we're talking about are evidence-based approaches. Speech to print has a tremendous amount of evidence as Jan presented. And if you look it up, 
Systematic synthetic phonics has a tremendous amount of evidence. Speech to print as compared to other approaches has none. We need, to, make, we need to be very clear about that. I wouldn't say that. Jan definitely presented research. She's a researcher and she made the distinction that it was a speech to print in terms of starting from language, starting from the spoken word yeah. to start teaching, which is well, what then. that is about. Again, that's one of the aspects, and I don't think there are approaches to phonics that don't have that aspect in there. I would agree with you. but Where, where speech and print meet. That's what phonics is. As far as the organization and the starting point of speech to print, I haven't seen anything convincing that would say it is a um, superior starting point to a print-to-speech orientation, or a mix of both. There isn't. There, it's, it would be very difficult to do research on that. I have seen some articles about a specific speech-to-print program where they've put forward, <laughs> and I'm not going to name it because I don't want to get in trouble. No, I don't want to get into anything like that. Yeah. Put for, no, I'm not going to do that. But they, you know, put forward, and this is this is where we need to be careful about research as well. Um, they've put forward a, a, a document um, with a number of studies from different areas talking about mainly about a change in spelling age as a result of the application of that particular program. So I had it looked over with a fine tooth comb by a researcher um, and psychologist friend of mine who is very, very into stats and makes it very clear what we're looking for and what we can place trust in and so on. And I'm sufficiently, and I'll have, I'm happy to send you his comments as well. I'm sufficiently, you know, satisfied um, that what's being claimed as a result of this research uh, is, can mostly be dismissed. So we have to be really careful. I wouldn't say that about spell links. Again, I'm happy to mention spell links because that jam was on and no, at no point in time was I having a go at spell links because that's an approach where Jan is very, very clear about the multilinguistic aspects being incredibly important right from the beginning. It's well, when we get approaches that will say, wait until you teach morphemes. Don't teach the, the letters of the alphabet. We don't have a handwriting system that goes with this. And here is a bunch of letter sequences that represent phonemes. That's where there's a problem. But again, solutions. again, if you have people who can pull this together and know what should be included and yeah. what should be done in terms of looking at this in a holistic way and being able to troubleshoot, because again, I have both of those approaches, Lynn. I am Wilson certified. I am OG. You know, I'm, you know, I practiced Orton Gillingham. Yeah, and I'm lots of the things too. As, <laughs> and as far as synthetic phonics, I followed this for now 30 years. I was following the people from England doing synthetic phonics. So I know every approach and I understand it. What I could tell you is there are kids who start out in school 
with a speech to print approach without having had anything else. Mm-hmm. And they are doing quite well. Of course they so are. It's phonics. not, you keep saying, because it's phonics, but it yeah. moves, but, but they, they are being given instruction in vocabulary, meaningful parts, everything else that goes along with a full understanding of word work. Yeah, they're lucky. So, so how would you summarize the biggest I would say so. They're lucky, but but I would hope that this is happening everywhere. And hey, I, yeah, the listeners ahead. that aren't as familiar, including myself. Yeah. Yes. What would you say the biggest distinction is for the starting point and how it differs from the phonics approach? Phonics first approach. Turn that over to Lynn because I want to hear what you would say is the starting point. And then I want to hear from you too, Faith. I want to see. Yeah. Starting point for what? Sorry, I kind of lost you there. So phonics in terms of what's the distinction between starting points with both both approaches? What's the starting point? Well, I'm I'm cautious to answer that because there's nothing in my article that pits the two against one another. So I I'm I'm not going to be um a voice that says this is better than that, that is better than this. I don't think that's what Judy's possible. asking. I don't think Judy's okay. asking what's better. I think it's the distinction between how the two approaches differ in in uh the methodology on how it starts and the progression. So well, I'll I can, go first. I can tell you that, but I don't know why that's relevant. Because, that, because that's it's not... really important. Because for me, as a person that doesn't have expertise in the speech to print approach, how can I even think about whether I should look into it or what would I see? I think it's important to have knowledge, and I don't have that knowledge yet. Righto. Um, well, I've in the article, I've talked about the the parts that are that make it difficult, the actual speech to print approach, not just the movement. So the aspects of the speech to print approach, all right, so we're talking about the approach now, that are um, typical of speech to print are things like prompting children to listen to each word and the sounds in each word. So to go forward, right, and to sequence those sounds prior to writing them. If that's the major strategy that you run into trouble really, really fast with that. If your training leads you to ask questions on social media, like what are the sounds in this word? How do I map this word? That is a very typical speech to print conundrum. And if you go through all of the social media sites where people were, and there are hundreds of thousands of teachers asking this all the time, how do I code this word? How do I map this word? And where should I put this word on my chart of 150 to 200 spellings? What you have is speech to print. And that's where there's a problem. The other parts of it, the other parts of the approach, teaching children the correspondences between phonemes and graphemes and so on are fine. They're fine and dandy. But when you are stuck with those questions, I posit that you could ask better questions. And it is the movement, the adherence and the rigidity within the speech to print approach that is stopping those better questions being asked. And that's a shame for teachers and it's a shame for children. So, Judy, I would answer that I agree with Lynn about the rigidity of anything that when it comes to, um, you know, this worshiping of ideas, people, anything like that, that's a problem. 
However, I do think there's a lot of problems with what I've seen with print to speech. So namely, absolutely. I don't, I'm not like, oh, you must go to OG. Oh my goodness. There are things, there are parts of that, but the difference is the culty part of it. I'm not seeing, and this is just experience. And and (laughs) you ask people about lots of things that they stick to. It's culty. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I get it. But remember this article, and I've made it very, very clear in this article that that is my opinion. If you want a meticulously researched piece, read my books because that's where I put all of the the, the references and so on. So a blog is a blog and that article is my opinion. And what my opinion comes from is my personal experience. So let's put that right out there. I'm not pretending that this is some kind of like fully researched article. However, I get my opinion from something that is fairly important in my world, and that is the casualties that I'm seeing. So I've gone for this particular subject. The other thing, by the way, and I think we should put this out here as well, that has driven my opinion is is things like being followed around at conferences, right, by people who who, um, have said, in your book, you didn't mention Diane McGuinness. And I'm, you know, Okay. <laughs> or or you didn't mention you mean, this. You guy. mean this book right here? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that changed I, my life. This book. What we can do about it changed my life. Yeah, I've had lots of life-changing books. I don't follow people around at conferences no. bashing the head with it, right? So no. culty what? Second culty thing, right? Is that I have I, I have real instances of people again on social media, parents in my local area going, does anyone know a tutor in the local area? And on the, on the, the Facebook page for a particular program again, and the author of that program, somebody saying, oh yeah, Lynn Stone runs a practice there, there. And the author of that program saying, not recommended, doesn't follow our program. So this mm-hmm. is a child looking for help, right? And they're actively turned away from mm-hmm. something that can help them to God knows what. I don't know where that kid went. You know, well, that's not interesting. Right. So, Lynn, um, yeah. I'm going, so I'm going to answer what Judy was asking about the differences. So um, I oh, can yeah. tell you, Judy, that the difference, as Lynn said, would be starting with the spoken word. And the thought is that that's what kids do naturally. They learn how to speak. First language, right. Yeah, so you're leveraging that already established lexicon. Exactly, exactly. And from there, rather than start with this is the letter, this is the sound, and, and then read the word, you're starting with the word that you already know, cat, right? Listening for segmentation of sounds in that word and being able to then match those letters to the sounds. Now, as Lynn was saying, when there's a one-to-one correspondence, there's really no argument. And that's what I'm getting from Lynn. But as you go on and you start getting into what we would call that advanced code part in speech to print, um, and then in Wilson Foundations, you would call it vowel teams, our controlled vowels, that kind of thing. She said, that's where it starts to get a little difficult. However, if you know, why? 
what you are doing and you can speak to it and not just become a robot and answer it robotically. I do think, and I've taught, so you said that you know this from experience, your opinion from dealing, Lynn, with lots and lots of kids. I could say the same thing. I've taught hundreds and hundreds, really, personally, you know, one-on-one. And you're still doing it. You're still doing it. And I still do it. And I still do it. So, and I could tell you that I've used this approach and they, the children come out being able to spell, how to write sentences, how to read advanced texts. I mean, I have parents who can vouch for that. And and, um, same with our students. Exactly. So then that isn't that saying it's about teacher knowledge that well, if we move off the off the approach. Yes. That, so I think what you're saying, and Judy, what I think we're all agreeing here, let's find common ground. Cheers. Is yes, with cheers. <laughs> is movements, right? A movement of any kind, this blind adherence to any person, you know, Lucy lovers, or oh, let me take a shot. Right. <laughs> Drink to Lucy. Um, anything with, um, you know, blind adherence to people programs and not really having this bigger picture is problematic. Yeah. But since your article focused on speech to print, I know you're calling it a movement, we have to address it. And I'm sure that's why people were upset because that was the movement that was targeted here. It, it yeah. was. And look, I don't just complain and then run away, right? That's so, awesome. So what I do is I complain. I try to offer solutions for my complaints um, and I'll face anybody who who, who disagrees with me. I'm I'm totally fine to do that. And what's more, I'll change in the, you know, I used to, I used to, I have a book where I've written T-I-O-N as a suffix. And, you know, I I completely understand why I did that, but I don't write that anymore. And I'm open to, you know, saying, yeah, that's not true, is it? (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) You know, this, this is all fine. That, the focus of that article was a movement. I focus on lots of things. I focus on lots of things. This is not the only thing that I've focused on. But the time had come because I had got sick of being bashed over the head at conferences about not um, including gurus that they think should have been included. I got sick of teachers, again, lost. I'm not sick of the teachers. I'm sick of the fact that they're lost by going, how do I code this word? Oh, my God, it's 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 the word one or it's the word restaurant or it's the word Wednesday. And then seeing 10,000 different answers based on, well, I say it like this, or worse, the correct way to say it is this. I mean, this is what the speech to print movement has become in the absence of more information for teachers. And it worries me. Mm-hmm. So teacher experience, teacher knowledge is big and, and, and it's so important. But that's why we can't have a movement that says this is sufficient. It has to say, like Louisa Motes says, in her book, Speech to Print, this is necessary. This is how speech represents print and print represents speech, not that print represents speech. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. 
got mm-hmm. to distinguish between that. Otherwise, we're, we again, we're going to see more of these casualties. Mm-hmm. And those casualties are teachers. They're not just children. They're teachers lost going, how do I code the number one? Mm-hmm. And then there's a thousand answers, you know, the O right. is a And double. instead of thinking of like making connections with words and, and yes. that I don't get, I don't, don't understand that at all. Um, you know, like one once only, like, why wouldn't we teach those types of things? Because we didn't know because we were sold a story. That's saying that speech and print are reversible processes. We were sold that story. And therefore, everything, if you all you have is a hammer, right, which is which is a, a speech to print only approach, then everything looks like a nail. So every letter sequence must be a spelling for a sound. And we know that that's not true. That's not how the writing system works. But if you convince people that's how it works, what you're going to get is a hammer approach. And we need a lot more tools in our toolboxes than just a hammer. That's where That's I have for sure. Faith, let me ask you something. Faith, so you have t- students that you work with, right? Mm-hmm. What percentage would you say you start with a speech-to-print approach versus a, a phonics-first approach? I'm just curious. You mean like print-to-speech? Like a, print so, so print-to-speech and speech-to-print. I tell you, um, pretty much all of them. And... I have to tell you, I really do. And because most of them have already had. Oh, okay. Okay. And when they come to me, they already have a lot, um, a lot of confusion and they don't know how to blend. A lot of them have had foundations, poor foundations teaching where they're tapping, 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 and they never taught to blend. And Um, That's not happening where I am, Faith. It's not happening everywhere. Again, we're talking about a program, adhering to a program, and that's what where I see the casualties. Again, the way Lynn said her opinion from her, you know, her point seeing the instructional casualties. I'm telling you, the instructional casualties that I've seen have already had foundations. They either have it in school or they've had it already and it just wasn't working for them. Or they've had OG, they've had Wilson and they're in their third or fourth year and they're ready to get married doing Wilson. All right. <laughs> they're going to be doing it forever. Or divorce. So I have to put the brakes on this culty movement of that everything is OG and that's gold standard. And say, stop, and yeah. actually find that the speech to print start removes a lot of those types of things. Again, my starting point, but it's not my end point, Lynn. That's yeah. different. It's not my end point. Yep. And one day I'll write, I'm sure I'll write about OG and foundations too. (laughs) Listen, I could probably write one about foundations also. And what was really refreshing at one of the last professional developments that I attended in New York City, Wiley Blevins was um, hosting and he was able to speak about the schools he supports and the modifications and the strategic moves he's had to make with, with that program. And I myself have had to make 
some modifications. I mean, there's not enough connected text, so we have to make sure that kids are reading because that's the one thing I'm seeing a lot in a lot of the schools everywhere. Kids are learning a lot of these skills in isolation, but not learning how to transfer those skills into text. Another modification, a lot of kids are doing great based on data trackers with sounds. They're doing fine with spelling, but all of a sudden you ask them to write a sentence, they can't do it because we're not giving it enough time. So being able to be mindful of those strategic moves that we need to make as teachers or educators is so critical to the work. And, you know, the first year when I was doing foundations, that's it, fidelity, fidelity, fidelity checklist. And now I feel confident enough to say, hey, let's look at your data in a more strategic way. This is what the data is saying. This is why we should shift in this direction. And it feels good because we cannot let teachers become, like Faith said, robots. Teachers are not robots. Mm, absolutely. Well said. And, you know, lucky the lucky district that's being coached by you. I wish everyone was like that. I wish I had Wiley. I'm still going to reach out to him. He, uh, yeah, he just signed up for my uh, Spelling for Life for Lower Primary course. So yeah, nice. Few weeks. That's awesome. <laughs> You know, yeah. and I have to tell you, I've worked with districts that were not willing to give up foundations or give up what they use. But yeah. then there's always that option of filling in holes, bringing it together, trying to see where the gaps are and working with it and using yeah. you know, your types of methods, Lynn, and your books and, you know, in terms of looking at words and not just sounds in isolation, using meaningful parts and etymology and, you know, really trying to look at things um, more holistically as well. So I don't think, I know you look confused by what I'm saying, but what I'm trying to say here is that you don't have to get rid of always what you have. I think sometimes starting fresh and starting new is a very powerful way to do things, just start fresh. But yeah. financially, these districts are not able to just start fresh. So you have to fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, I just want to address something that you said there about um, my approach. Now, I've been incredibly careful never to develop a phonics approach, and I never will. There are plenty of phonics programs, whether it's speech to print, print to speech, a mixture of both, right? That I do wasn't the job. saying that yours was I, I will never put a phonics program on the market because that's done. We've done it. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. My job as I see it, because I, you know, study words and and uh, and that's what I'm qualified to do. And I work with children and that's what I have experience doing. My job as I see it is to say, can we refine our approaches to be more effective and more efficient for the segment of the population that is currently learning the least. And right now, what that brings me to say is the speech to print movement is guilty of the rigidity that is getting a bad deal for those children. So are you saying when you say the rigidity of the yeah. movement? Yep. Is it the followers of speech to print? Because I believe wholeheartedly in the approach and yet I don't feel like I'm part of any movement. Yeah, yeah. No, and I don't feel that you are, Faith, at all. Um, I'm talking about 
the ones who follow me around at conferences berating me for not including their gurus. I'm talking about the ones who turn people away from my practice because I don't follow a brand. Um, and I'm Tom, I'm also talking, well, about the multiple aggressive uh, you know, DMs and phone calls and responses that I get wow. from to say um there's a problem here. Uh, I, I think there was one someone who said my problem with speech to print was peak white fragility. Um, you know, so there's there's a, there's there's a lot of you know weird culty stuff going on, um, but also not just people's behaviour. Okay, that's one thing, and that humans are humans, right? But when you look and compare, and I've done this. When you look at and compare scope and sequence documents within speech-to-print um, approaches, within uh, just even, dare I say, charts that you get on things like Teachers Pay, Teachers and Twinkle, uh -huh. all of them, right? And what this, this movement has created is every letter sequence represents a sound. And it's a big movement and there is danger in that because that is a hammer. Mm -hmm. right? So everything looks like a nail. So things like, you know, double is a spelling for the sound as in who. That's a, not an efficient approach. It's not an efficient approach. You know, um, things like SE is a grapheme for the sound in-house. No, it's not. Right. That it you 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 you're cutting off a little bit of the system, isolating it, and not showing the rest of the system. That's a shame. That e on the end of house is a little cancelling e. If kids can remember the name of Pokemon characters, they can remember plural cancelling e. If you teach that systematically, and so on. So I've got a hundred. When you say they, are you including kids with learning disabilities, language oh. issues, ESL? Oh. Are you really? Those are who we work with. Mm -hmm. That is the population that I am most experienced with. And so am I. Yeah, me too. But 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 faith by your own admission, you're plugging gaps in mm -hmm. what in, in previous knowledge that children have acquired, and you are using things, not just saying this is a great big bunch of code you have to remember. You're using all of the knowledge and learning that you've had over the years to do with etymology, to do with orthographic um, right. experience to do with um, morphology. You know all that stuff and you know exactly that, what So, So, Lynn, is what you're saying that not everybody has all of that knowledge that faith yes. has and that's where the danger could lie? And they're being told that the knowledge that they mm -hmm. do have and they're being told that that's sufficient and that's a problem. Okay, so that's an interesting point, right, Faith? It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Yeah. And, and I would agree. It's not sufficient. Yeah. It's not sufficient. But then again, I do think that, um, again, I'm not going to name any programs, but there are uh, um, different um, trainings that get into some of this type of work that you are talking about. So you might have taken one course, but there are other courses where they do get into this. And again, I don't want to get into program sure. names or anything like that. But some of the things that you are talking about for those people can be covered as well. 
Sure. Then it ceases to be speech to print and it becomes a much wider ranging and more efficient approach. Okay. So then we're talking about terminology and, and we're talking about, um, you know, getting into those types of things you're saying that that's not speech to print anymore. Um, is that... Well, again, going back to my original point when we first started this was there's an approach and there's a movement, mm -hmm. right? And there's plenty of evidence for mm -hmm. the approach being a subset of an approach that has mountains of research evidence, and that's systematic synthetic phonics. Mm -hmm. And then there's a movement that says this is sufficient. Yeah. That's what Interesting. I'm Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So also, anything... sorry, one last thing. Yeah, if I you... was just going to ask you if there was one last thing. Go <laughs> if ahead. You do, if you do put the code charts, right, of like maybe take three major speech-to-print approaches and they all have a code chart, advanced, um, you know, simple code and advanced or extended code, depending on the author. And, and you'll find that they won't be the same and they will be to do with the whim of the author and they will be to do with the accent of the author. That's a problem too, <laughs> That's a giant problem as well, because it's stating something about the writing system that's not necessarily true. That's why you have to get into orthography and you have to get into morphology and etymology, because that's what actually drives letter sequences, mm -hmm. right? Not 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 sounds and not the whim of the person that wrote that particular code chart. That's a problem as well. So uh, just to answer that, so the code chart is something to use as a starting point, Lynn. That's not the end point. At least it shouldn't but Marketing be. is the end point, Faith, in too many instances. And that's why we've got these questions that come up on social media. How do I code that? Where is this on the chart? It's not, because that sequence has got really nothing to do with the sounds that are being made in that word, it, you know. Well, this has been an interesting discussion. Um, and I, I love that, you know, Judy, was asking questions about this from a point of view that, you know, she has not used this program, but she does know that teacher knowledge is important regardless of the program. And I think that's what we could walk away with. Judy, what yeah. are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, where we leave people off at this point? With so what I think my, my biggest... My biggest takeaway is I definitely want to know more about the approach. I said that in the last episode about speech to print, and I definitely want to see it in action. You know, hearing it in a discussion is not the same as being in a classroom, seeing a lesson. Um, so I definitely am open-minded to learning more about it. Now, does it mean I'm not going to love the phonics first approach more, which I probably will? But this That's is fine. You mean print to speech. You mean print, print to speech. speech. Right. Print to speech approach. I'm probably still going to, you know, that's what I'm more comfortable with. That's what I'm having a lot of success with my team with. But there are always students that whatever you're doing, whether it be in tier one, tier two, tier three, that's not working. It would be great to fill my tool toolbox with additional learning. So that's my takeaway. Lynn, is there anything you want to add that um, we didn't ask you or talk about? Um, no, I think we've covered quite a lot, Faith. I just wanted to say thank you for you and Judy, to you and Judy for taking the time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you 
for joining us. And I do think this was an important discussion because I, I think you really did hit on something, Lynn, as far as movements. And um, we might have some disagreements about the approach and the benefits of the approach, but I think we could agree that one, I don't think any program needs to be so expensive. I think all of us here could probably teach a kid with a piece of chalk and a chalkboard. Right. I really people do all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, you know, and I've been doing that for you know thirty five years. Like really teaching kids with you know a dry erase marker and a board or a piece of chalk and a chalkboard. So I don't think programs have to be so expensive. I also think that as far as this worship goes, this idol worship, whether it's a person or a program or this adherence, do you know there were people, Lynn, that were upset when I even put up your articles and wanted to talk about it and contacted me that they wouldn't put it in their Facebook group they wouldn't put it anywhere. Um, and I'm like, why wouldn't we talk about it? Don't well, you find that kind of silencing culty as well? I, I find so. that really culty. Yes. And that's how our podcast is different. The other podcasts that I listen to, everybody just has a guest on and they say, yes, yes, yes. We're different. We're different. We like to have those hard conversations. We like to d dig deeper. We, we're truth seekers here. And, you know, not everybody's view is going to be the same. And that's what makes the literacy view a little bit different. You're definitely different. And I mean that in the, the best way possible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. And uh, I appreciate your time. And um, we'll talk soon. This was great. All right. Thank you. Thanks Follow again. us on Facebook, The Literacy View. Join our group. It's growing by the minute. Um, follow us on Instagram, The Literacy View. Follow us also at Boxner Judy on Twitter. Follow Faith at High Five Literacy. And coming soon is our website. Stay tuned. It's coming in early March and we can't wait to launch it. And also, please, please, please write us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is The Literacy View. And follow us, everybody, everywhere and keep sharing. We're getting a lot more love and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Good night.